What if there was a different way to live and work beyond the hustle and hype, beyond the never ending race to get more, do more, be more, a way that's nourishing, grounded, creative, and aligned with your deepest, truest self. You're listening to Alchemy in Action with me, your host, Amanda Cook. In each episode, we'll explore nature-based personal growth for high-achieving women. Join me to create a life and work that truly fit you, infused with meaning and magic. Hello, lovely Wellpreneurs. Welcome back to this week's episode of the podcast. And I'm coming to you this week from Hong Kong, where I just recently got back from spending a month in the States. And let me tell you that flight, oh my gosh, was just brutal. 15 and a half hours, Boston to Hong Kong nonstop. On the way out, I was in total cattle class in economy, which was like the longest flight ever. But on the way back, I got upgraded into business. Awesome. That is like a night and day difference. I could stretch out. I got really good food. I had like a nice little duvet to go over me. So I've decided that my resolution is I'm only flying business class from now on. So I need to make that happen. Anyway, I got back from, you know, a month in the States and we've really been here in Hong Kong for like since March. So it was like two months and then and then that month in the States. And it has just been nonstop. We were moving. I had friends and family visiting. I went to Vietnam. I went to a retreat in the Philippines. I got a speaking gig here, which means I've spoken on six continents. Woohoo. How cool is that? I was pretty psyched. It's just been like, go, 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 go. And then I spent a month away and then I got back and all I wanted was space. If you're on my email list, I emailed you about this last week. I just felt like this deep craving for space and time and space and time to really enjoy this amazing city, Hong Kong, that I'm in. And to get out and to do more with natural health and beauty and to get to travel around Asia and just to have space for that. And I realized as I was craving this that no one was going to give it to me. The only way to get that space and time that I was really craving is to give it to myself. And so I wanted to share that with you this week because I don't know how you're feeling, but at certain points, I know we all just feel like I wish there was more time. I wish I had time to do some of the things that I really want to do. And especially in the summer, you know, you might just want to take it a bit easier and give yourself more space to get outside and play. And the only way you're going to get that is by claiming it. And so what I've been doing this week is really taking a hard look at my business priorities and narrowing it down to like the essential top three things that I want to be working on and devoting all of my time to that and cutting out the rest of the stuff. And, you know, and I'm doing some other things like giving myself a nice morning routine, not looking at my phone in the mornings, dedicating Fridays exclusively to natural health and beauty exploration and photography, and just really trying to structure my life this summer to give myself that space. So I want to leave you with that thought today is that, you know, if you're feeling a bit crazy, you're the one that can stop the craziness. I'd love to talk about this topic more. So if you want, you can come over to our Facebook group which is the Wellpreneur Wellness Marketing Mastermind Facebook group. And I'd love to talk with you about how you can take back control of your life this summer too. Now today, we've got a great interview for all of you fitness Wellpreneurs out there. And this this person is actually Jonathan Goodman from the Personal Trainer Development Center. He was a request from a few listeners out there. And I just love it when I get listener requests and I can actually make it happen. So Jonathan was one of those requests. And we're talking all about the realities of running an online business, the phases that you go through, how to get started creating online training programs, 
and how to really engage your fans with social media and a bunch of other stuff. Now, I recorded this interview with Jonathan while I was in the States. I was in New Hampshire at my parents' house. And towards the end of the interview, a cat emerged from nowhere. I guess she just snuck into the room and was hiding and decided to that she really wanted attention at the end of the interview. So you may hear a cat meowing at the end, and I really apologize for that. But hey, that's life, right? It happens. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed this interview and definitely pop over to the Facebook group and let us know not only your biggest takeaway, but your take on how to give yourself a bit more time and space this summer so that you can really do the things that you want to do. And as always, I'll link up everything, including the link to the Facebook group in the show notes, which you can get at wellpreneuronline.com. Okay, now let's get into this interview with Jonathan Goodman of the Personal Trainer Development Center. Hey, John, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Amanda. So you were actually a listener request. So I've wanted to have you on the show for quite a while. And I'm glad it could finally work out because the time zone's a bit nuts with Hong Kong. And <laughs> I think the best lesson that went on behind the scenes here is just how much your team chased me down and followed up. And it's been about a two and a half month process, three month process, probably when you first messaged. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like a test that I do when people reach out to me. It's like, if they continue following up, then there's somebody probably who I'll take the time and speak to. So never be afraid to follow up. I think it's awesome. Good lesson for everybody to take away from this already. Yeah. I really wanted to have you on the show because you run the Personal Trainer Development Center, which I think a lot of listeners will be familiar with. And I wanted to talk to you about like this idea of using online marketing for a business that people would think, oh, well, that's an offline business. Like personal training, that's something you do in person. So does online marketing work for me? So how do you approach this? Yeah. Well, I mean, my business educates personal trainers, but My business off of the personal trainer development center is very much helping personal trainers build an online personal training business. So I definitely get it. The way that I look at it is this, is that different people react to different things and different mediums and different people accept information a different way and work well with different information a certain way. So just to say that there's only one way to deliver a service, I think is leaving out the majority of the population. And so delivering training or fitness information online, the way that an online personal trainer can do it, is simply another delivery method. It's like there are magazine workouts, there's one-on-one training, there's small group training, there's boot camps, there's all of these wacky different hooks around delivering fitness these days that are popping up everywhere. They're all just simply different, different people who are looking for different things. And I think that that's probably the biggest lesson to learn is you can get very easily wrapped up in what you think you know exists because it's everything that you've already seen because we kind of exist in these insulated funnels or bubbles where we don't see anything else. And as a result, we don't really think about what else might possibly be out there or what we can create to serve something we didn't even know existed previously. So when you're working, when you're telling personal trainers and teaching them how to start to grow their businesses online, do you feel like they can immediately start marketing online? Or do you try to get people to work in person first before creating online programs? Or how do you do that? For a personal trainer, I usually say you have to have at least one year of experience. That comes with a bit of a corollary. I say one year because it's just the easiest way to kind of communicate it. The reality of it is online training where you're not actually seeing somebody, like training often is a very reactionary thing. Client does a bench press. They say, my wrist hurts. You look at them, you do a couple quick tests. You're like, okay, is this a problem or is this not a problem? You know, communicating the difference between pain and discomfort. Training much of it for most people is just helping somebody become tolerant to their intolerances. So like, 
a little bit of discomfort is good. That's what we want. That's how we grow. But pain is not good. So it's the difference between that. Online personal training requires a much more proactive and lateral approach. You need to kind of anticipate what may be a problem before it becomes a problem, which means you need to know your client or your specific type of client much better because you need to know what that type of client deals with. So if I'm dealing with somebody who's sitting at a desk who's kind of hunched over, you can't see me, but I'm hunching over at a desk, you kind of know some things if you've been training those types of people for a while that are probably going to go on. And so what you can do in your documentation that you send to them when they start, you can say, if this happens, this is what it might be. This is what you can do to try to feel a little bit better. What you can also do is you can program in what we call prehab. So what prehab is, is essentially rehabilitation exercises that you give to somebody before they get injured so they don't get injured, anticipating what they may be susceptible for. And you can only do that if you have experience with that type of client, probably in person. Mm -hmm. And you keep saying that type of client, which implies to me like really niching down into one specific type of client or one outcome that they want. Yeah, I'm sure you speak about niches all the time and, and how important that is, especially when you're going online marketing. And niching is much more important than it might be offline simply because you don't have a chance. Like you never know what sale you lose if you never have a chance to talk to the person. But if you're speaking to a person, you can kind of answer their questions and make the sale. You know, objections are an opportunity to close. So you kind of want somebody to object. But online, you have to be much more specific in who you want because that's going to dictate how you present yourself so that you attract them. You know, marketing kind of connotes you do something to somebody. Attracting means you do something that brings the right type of people to you. And so, when I say that type of client, yes, there's a lot to do with the marketing, but also just in terms of being able to build a program for a person, I always suggest taking your one, two, or three sort of top client groups that you can build the same kind of templated program for that you can individualize for each person. So you might be looking at like a 25 to 30-year-old guy who wants to put on muscle who has no serious injuries. That might be one type of client. You might also be looking for the 30 to 45-year-old mother who just had her first kid who may or may not have experienced, you know, diastasis, recti, abdominal separating, and like wants to get back into fitness but doesn't want to ruin herself. Those are all, to me, like types of clients who are going to get kind of similar programming, who are going to deal with similar issues both in their life and physically that you can anticipate and help them with. Mm -hmm. So you were talking um, before we started recording, actually, we were talking a bit about the three stages of growth that you see for an online business. And so I'm interested in that. So if we take as an example, like a personal trainer that's helping new moms to get their figure back, right? After mm -hmm. having a baby. And so, and they're just starting, someone's just starting their, you know, maybe they've been training these women and they're ready to go online. Can you kind of talk us through those three stages of growth that you see? Like, how does that work for a business like that? The three stages of growth are more sort of for the type of business that I have. Okay. Um, I haven't, to be honest, I haven't really thought about how it might be for a trainer who is training somebody and going online. So I don't know if I could speak to that or whether that, okay. well, you just, is, but yeah. I'm happy to talk about with my business in the three stages and then uh, hopefully your audience could kind of extrapolate. Yeah, yeah. Go for it. That might be. So for me, the three stages are when you first start any kind of like an information business online, you don't really know your audience that well. You probably know some pretty good information that can help them, but you don't really know that deeply what they're struggling with. You know what you struggled with if you're that target population, but on like a worldly scale, you don't really know what everybody is dealing with. So first stage for me is putting out information, is trying to get anybody in the world that you possibly can that's doing amazing work to be a part of what you're doing for the purpose of why you're doing it, i.e. exactly what you're doing, Amanda, right now having me on. 
So there's a lot of networking involved. And then I always suggest kind of floating that and paying for that with affiliate promotions. Because when you start kind of building your own stuff, it's a huge amount of time effort. And if you do it right, money effort as well. So you float it with kind of affiliate promotions until you get to the point where you kind of know a little bit about what your audience is struggling with and you build something of your own to sell them. For anybody who's actually built something of their own to sell to their audience, they'll know it is a huge amount of effort to do it well. To do it not well, it's obviously not as much effort. So then you get into the next stage. So that, so that brings you to the next stage where you're actually building your own information products to sell to that person. So that might be an ebook, it may be a course, it may be some sort of coaching, maybe, you know, whatever it is, you're, you're kind of delivering your own service now. And you dial back the affiliate promotions. You may, you may keep some of them, you may dial back. What that allows you to do then is, um, especially in the online marketplace, these things that you sell are generally very high yield, if they're digital. You know, you could take in 85, 90% of the sale as profit, which is insane to anybody in a conventional business. But you can do that. And so what that allows you to do is really fund growth of your company, if you do it properly. I mean, you could put it in your bank account and you can use it to fund growth. And so what that stage allows you to do is essentially begin to start buying your time back at a discount. And it allows you to hire people to help amplify you, which is how I always kind of say it. And so you can buy uh, people to kind of be your assistants, help you filter your email, help you produce your content better, audio engineers, which I know you use, Amanda, um, whatever it is to amplify your effects and make you do better and grow your audience quite a bit more. What it also allows you to do is build a bigger audience, which allows you to study that audience. To me, it's all about solving big problems. You can put out another book, you can put out more information, and that'll be fine. I like to kind of think about what is the biggest problem my audience experiences. And for trainers, it's quite simple. It's they need to make a little bit more money in a little bit less time with a bit better schedule. Every single personal trainer in the world eventually hits the point where they have to figure that out. And we have such a deep understanding of that problem now because we've collected hundreds of thousands of data points of our audience about why they want to do it, about the specifics of that struggle, about kind of what they don't want to solve the problem with, i.e. they don't want to sell crummy supplements and, and that kind of thing, that we have figured out the business that is the big solution to the big problem. And it's not information. And it's almost never information. And so the third stage then is tackling that business. And in our case, just because of kind of what the solution is for that problem, it's a straight up startup. And so we're in the process now of building out a startup to solve that problem. And what happens in the third stage of the growth of the business is, A, that's like the $100 million concept if you do it right. But also margins get quite a bit smaller, people costs get quite a bit bigger, and the importance of proper management get much higher. Like as a solo entrepreneur, especially online, you can do a pretty crappy job and make quite a bit of money. But if you really want to start making a huge impact, like you need to figure out how to manage people, you need to figure out how to motivate people, you need to start leveraging other people who do amazing things, and you need to stick to your, I mean, you can call it, it's been called a million things, unique ability, 5%, you know, what is it that you were really meant to do? And focus 100% on that and find other people who do, you know, their 5%, their unique abilities and all the other aspects of the business. Yeah, I mean, if you're looking at those first couple of phases, I think, you know, for the example I gave, it's basically like you're saying start to build a list, start to build an audience. Well, whatever shape that audience is in, I'm always talking about a list, but whether it's your social media following or your email subscribers or whatever. And uh, really, a list that you own. Yeah. Yeah. And getting to know them 
and, and like building up that authority status, even by selling, like you become, I guess what you're selling is saying is in the beginning, you become the hub for that type of information for sure. and you can sell affiliate products to do that, which the personal trainer helping new moms could do too. There's gotta mm-hmm. be, there's nutrition programs for them. There's probably stress programs or sleep programs or weight loss programs that you can sell to those women. And then the second phase is really getting to know those people and then creating your own product. For sure. I've done hundreds of phone calls. I mean, I've done multiple phases where I would just send out an email to my audience and I'd say, hey, I'm, I have some time next month. I'm doing eight 15-minute phone calls. It turned out to 16 15-minute phone calls a day for the next month and a half. And I would do 120 15-minute phone calls within a month and a half with people from my audience. And the phone call would literally be, hey, what do you want to talk about? Mm-hmm. And, they, and, and I mean, for me, it was a great way to connect with them. But also it was just, that's research. Like, it's huge. the one biggest problem? Yeah. Um, how do they talk about their problem, which is almost yeah. more important? And yeah. what does that problem stop them from doing? Not what it actually stops them from doing. What do they think it stops them from doing? Which from a marketing perspective seems very small and minute, but it's actually probably the most important aspect. Like a perception of, of what you want to do and perception of how people view you is much more important from how people actually view you mm-hmm. um, in terms of your own self-worth and and. Um, in terms of, of kind of how you want to market, like you need to really speak to somebody's inner desires and to their inner fears if you really want to help them or, or position yourself to help them solve a problem. And I'm glad you mentioned that you do so many of those because I think there's a lot of resistance around doing this kind of market research, like, like you know, especially online. I think it can be so comfortable to just stay behind our computer and think <laughs> like, well, we'll just figure it out. Yeah. But I've definitely seen that in my own business too, is that the fastest way to get to a product or service that people want to buy is to talk to them about it and not to just talk to two people and assume that then your market research is done. Like you were yeah. saying, I talk to a hundred people. And when you start to do, I've never done that many, but as you start to go, you know, like 10, 20, 30, you start to hear the same words over and over and over again. And that's like, if some, if it eventually hits you across the head and you're like, right, <laughs> that's the thing I need well, to do. Like, Look, I was a dude from a reasonably affluent family in an affluent area in Toronto who, I mean, I guess I struggled in school. I guess I was smaller and got beat up in sports a bit, but like I had it pretty good, right? And like, I know that I went to university debt-free. That was a massive advantage. Number one, I never really appreciated just how much of an advantage it was. And now I appreciate what my parents did a lot more, but that's more of a, a, I guess, a personal side. But when I went to train, you know, I, I trained at the university for three years while I was studying kinesiology. So I, I went into full-time personal training with three years of experience in kinesiology degree, which is very rare. Got a job at a boutique studio focusing on training in, I think it's like the second most expensive area to live in in Toronto. My situation was extremely unique. And so to have a opportunity to speak with trainers literally all around the world, I mean, somebody walking, we just put on a conference this past weekend and somebody walking to my place right now that we're going to hang out with owns one of the three studios in Managua, Nicaragua. And like he flew in for a conference and he's become a friend. This guy is one of the most, one of the best examples, I think, of just somebody who is dedicated to his craft. And like, I'm honored to know him, but to be able to meet people like that, doing that kind of work in their communities, they struggle with stuff that I never even knew existed. And to be able to speak to the, to the woman whose husband is away in Iraq for the American military, who is constantly moving around because her husband is stationed everywhere and needs to be able to bring her training business with her. Like, these are just situations that I never knew existed and that I would never understand. And that no survey will ever be able to make you kind of completely understand, unless you talk to them. And people also remember that you went out and spoke to them about them, not a free strategy call to learn more about you where I'm 
obviously pitching you on my services at the end of it. I'm not selling them anything, but I fully know that they're probably going to buy my stuff at some point if I can really talk to them and listen to them and, and hopefully do something where it either is introducing them to somebody important or, or introducing them to information that may be helpful for them at some point. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, what are some mistakes that you see people making as they're just getting started? Like, so say they're starting this process and starting to, you know, thinking about creating a personal training service online or, or putting themselves out there, building a community. What kind of mistakes do you see people make? I think people don't give themselves a good enough opportunity to succeed. And I'll tell you a little bit more about that because those words in that order don't really mean all that much, but they sound nice. It's to me, people kind of get stuck in a very reactionary state. And I think the key to being successful in business is to put yourself in a position to be proactive as often as possible, as much as possible. And the way to do that is A, not to get wrapped up in all this fancy mumbo jumbo that you see on the internet, is to keep things as simple as possible. I think it, it was a podcast I was listening to. I think it was the Tim Ferriss podcast. I'm not quite sure, but he was talking about his own podcast. And one of the things that he said was, how can I make this as easy as possible? And I guess you could talk about that as the minimal, the minimum effective dose concept, but it's just like, if I were to start a podcast, right, how can I make this as easy as possible? Well, I'm going to eliminate all audio engineering. I'm going to eliminate all editing. And I'm going to put all of my efforts onto figuring out how to ask the best questions. Because anybody knows that you can have a lackluster guest. And if you ask the right questions and guide them well, you're going to do pretty well. So with me, it's like, how can you put yourself in the best position possible? It's ignoring all of that other fancy stuff and saying, how can I give myself the best chance to succeed? Well, that's being proactive. That's giving myself as much time as possible, which in my eyes is at the beginning, focus on the highest yield efforts that you possibly can. Everybody on the internet these days wants to scale their efforts, produce passive income, whatever it is. You can do that But for anybody who's tried to produce passive income, they'll know that there's a massive amount of active upfront work in order to hopefully produce passive income down the road. And a lot of the time that doesn't even happen. So what you do is you say, what can I do right now to make the most amount of money in the least amount of time? That's why I like online coaching so much because you can charge somebody two, three, four hundred dollars. I know people charging thousands of dollars a month to a single client, but two, three, four hundred dollars. So you get five people at 200 bucks a month you're coaching online with a good system. It should take you about an hour to two hours a week. You're making an extra $1,000 a month, 12,000 bucks a year. What you can do then is you can begin to systematically buy back your time. And when you systematically buy back your time at a discount, all of the stuff that you don't like doing, well, now you can get somebody to do your laundry at home and clean your house at home. Generally, like personal household stuff is like the highest yield stuff that you can give away if you don't enjoy it. If you enjoy it, do it. But you can then hire an admin to help filter in your email. You can start buying back your time. So then you have a lot more hours and mental clarity over the course of a day to begin speaking to your audience more, learning more about your audience, but also producing those things, you know, maybe writing that book, maybe um, working on that kind of dream project, but you'll never have the opportunity to do that if you didn't put yourself in that position initially to move forward. And like, that's not, there's nothing fancy about that. It doesn't matter what software you use. Like online training, when you start, you should use Microsoft Excel, Skype, and PayPal, and email. That's it. You don't need anything else. You already have a network that you've been developing for years on Facebook. You don't need anything else. Like you don't even need to create a, a Facebook page. I think people totally overcomplicate it. And I think sometimes it's an excuse, maybe just not really wanting to do it or being scared of doing it. And so then like you can use technology as an excuse. But you're right. You totally don't have to. I mean, we're talking on Zoom. Zoom's brilliant. You could do your personal training that way or Skype, like you said. I mean, it, you don't need anything fancy. I use Zoom for everything. 
Um, I mean, it's, it's fan- I like it because it's much more lightweight than Skype. And like mm-hmm. you, I mean, I'm, I live six months out of the year in Toronto and six months traveling the world. So Skype just breaks too much on bad internet. Whereas Zoom seems to break a lot less. I think so for sure. I think overpreparedness is um, the biggest reason of procrastination. I think that procrastination is opportunity's natural assassin. Like it's amazing what happens when you start to do something that you really want to do. You start figuring out all of the different ways to do it. And the fact that there's so much information available to us today always makes us think that we need to know one more thing before we get started. Whereas the reality of it is, I don't even know who else in my business is doing stuff like me in my marketplace. I have no clue. And it's completely irrelevant to me because my mantra is always, if I'm trying to, it's the best way to say this, if I'm trying to figure out whether I should listen to somebody else or pay attention to something else out there, it, I always ask myself the question, will this change anything I do? And very often the answer is no. And so I just don't pay attention to it. It's why would I even bother knowing it? Yeah, totally. And you're never going to learn. There's so much information. You're never going to learn everything about a topic before you do it. I mean, it'll be, especially with this online stuff, it'll be totally outdated by the time you learn all the stuff about how to run a webinar, for example, or how to create an online program or whatever it is that you're looking up. And so I think I'm a big believer in just in time learning. Like you just, just wait till you get to the point where you need it. And then a quick Google will generally teach you the bare bones of what you need to know. And then you can just keep going forward. I mean, cause that's the best, in my experience, that's the best way I've actually learned is yep. by doing it, putting it out there. And then, you know, it I works. I have a problem. What's the solution? Yeah. 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 I think I have a problem. What's the solution right now? But I think the corollary to just in time learning is you have to have a couple philosophical basis, or you have to have a couple, what I call objective filters that you put everything through. Mm-hmm. Because emotion can really hurt us uh, quite a bit. And, you know, seeing, comparing our, our bloopers to other people's highlight reels online, you know, all that kind of stuff can really alter kind of how we approach situations. And so I always say the button doesn't matter. Why people push the button matters. The button will change. You know, Facebook may not be around, a specific social media may not be around, a software may not be around. But the reason why somebody will give up every aspect of their privacy online will never change, you know, by putting their information out there, interacting a certain way. The reason why that happens will never change. So if you understand deeply the psychology behind why people do that, the philosophy behind how you operate your business, you can very quickly create a couple filters to run everything you're doing through. And it'll be a really quick kind of guide to continue kind of going in that same direction. Mm, Can you talk a bit more about that? What those filters are like? Like, how do you set them up? Or how do Um, you decide? How do you decide? Well, first off, the, the filter of why people use social media, right? It's something that for anybody who's followed my work knows that I'm pretty passionate about. Um, or I'm just interested in, you know, when I was a trainer, I always said my success as a trainer was being able to get somebody to want to do what I want them to do. That's deeply hinged in, in psychology. Uh, the importance of the quality of the, uh, the importance of the quality of the best work in the world pales in, in comparison to the importance of your ability to get somebody to want to do that work. And so online, it's the same thing. It's like, how do you get somebody to want to share your message? as an extension of their own thoughts because they think that it makes them look good, feel good in a certain way. And understand that first off, like everybody who uses a social media network online is doing it to make themselves feel like they are intelligent, intellectual, interesting, attractive, or funny. I call it the triple I AF drug. Every action that we take online is that. So if you can produce a message in a way that it, it allows somebody else to selectively self-represent to put themselves out there in a way that makes them feel like they appear one of those ways, the chance that they're going to articulate themselves through your message, i.e. marketing for you, go way up. And that's kind of the key. So how can you make other people feel like they appear good? 
not that they actually appear good because my self-worth is dependent on how I feel that you feel like I feel, like I am. Whether you think that I'm a complete idiot is completely irrelevant to my self-worth as long as I think that you think that I'm smart. <laughs> right. Right. And so like, consider that in the context of social media. We don't actually know how anybody feels. We only know our perception of how other people feel. That they liked, they liked my update a lot and they shared it. So they almost like me. And there's very fascinating physiological ramifications to that. A compensatory behaviors like over, uh, alcohol addiction, overeating, and smoking have been shown to go down with perceived social support online in the way of comments, likes, and shares. So if somebody puts a picture of duck lips online, that is actually a compensatory behavior very similar to taking a swig of alcohol. And so it, it, the way that you can support somebody is by like liking their photo. It may stop that person from smoking that night. And there's, there's a whole bunch of fancy studies that back up that. I mean, no one sounds like I'm like shouting out a bunch of stuff on a podcast, but I can give you a bunch of research that actually backs this stuff up if you're interested. But you asked about the filters. So when we're looking at the actual filters, I'll give you the easiest example I can think of. Uh, you need to run everything through an objective filter that you do, and you need to have everybody on your team to have an objective filter behind what they do. So the guy who runs my social media, we have a Facebook page of 220, 221,000 personal trainers. Fantastic, right? I don't really care that that Facebook page gets to 250,000 personal trainers. It's completely irrelevant. Even if I had 5,000 people on a page, I wouldn't really care if that gets to 8,000. Because my business is dependent upon how well, how good of a job we do driving traffic back to our site and capturing those leads versus increasingly growing a social media account that may be obsolete in five years. So the objective filter that my social media team has is every idea that they have, they ask the question, will this help or do we think that this will help send more traffic back to the site? If the answer is yes, then they do it. If the answer is no, but I think it'll grow likes, they don't do it. It's as simple as that. Mm-hmm. In terms of kind of deciding for me, like, do I take phone calls or do I take meetings? I mean, you know firsthand how difficult it is to get a hold of me. I've set pretty strong filters around myself in the way of admins and, and email filters and stuff like that. And for me, it's, if I'm going to do something, I say no to most things that I'm going to do simply because it just doesn't align with what I want to achieve. But with me, the filter is, will this help my business? Is this for the greater good? I will give a talk to a college class with 20 people for free any part of the day, any day of the year, either on Skype or I'll drive there and I'll take a half a day to drive there because it meets my filter of, do I think that this is for the greater good? Yes, if I can help direct 20 awesome people into the fitness or health industry with a message that I really believe in, then that hits my filter. Will this help me build my business where I want my business to go? It's objective, it's not emotional, it's not, I like this person, so I'm going to do it. It's not, this isn't ego play. You know, I want to be on this podcast because I feel like it's going to make me feel like a boss. Mm -hmm. And I think when you start to create those around yourself, you start to very quickly see what we do that we don't actually need to do that are kind of doing nothing that are just kind of self-fulfilling actions. No, I like that because I think, you know, you need some way to, I guess you're calling it filter out. Like the thing I do is I'll write like my three major strategic goals for the quarter of the year, whatever, mm-hmm. on a big piece of paper above my desk. This is like totally, <laughs> totally not digital for me. Mm-hmm. It's very digital. But, and it's that to me, that or looking at a vision board or something, it's like every time you make a decision, does it fulfill one of these things? Is yep. it one of these goals? If not, no, put it on a list. You can maybe do it later if you want to next quarter when it aligns. But like you've just 
time is so precious and valuable and there's too much to do. Like you can never get through it all. And so I think having that kind of filter really helps you to prioritize what to focus on. Um, And where are you going? Like uh, we have, uh, like I, you know, I spoke about the three stages earlier. Like we have this business that we want to build about a year ago, year and a half ago, probably now. I knew that that was where we wanted to go. And so I started saying, okay, what are all the steps to get there? And I realized that I needed to hire on a whole bunch of people. I mean, we have, I think, 24 people now on the monthly payroll. That's a lot more than there was <laughs> a little while ago. But what, in order to have that many people, many of them, I'm kind of their sole or primary source of income for them and their families. I need to make sure that I have a reliable income stream to be able to pay them. So we were on very much a launch system before, was we wouldn't make much money. Unfortunately, my books sell pretty well, but even then we wouldn't make much money. And then we would do a launch, we'd take in a huge amount of money, and then we wouldn't make much money for a lot longer. That was kind of the model, and that's very common online. And that's fine, but the problem is you don't really know if each subsequent launch is going to do as well as the last. You hope that it's going to do much better, but it's still not money that you have that you can depend on. So I said, okay, if we're going to hire on these people, we need to make sure that we have a reliable recurring income stream. And so we built a membership site. We built a membership site in a way that we thought was an incredible add-on for our audience, for those who wanted it. But the reality of it was the business purpose of the membership site was not the membership site. Many online businesses' sole goal is like, once I have that membership site, I'm done. With us, that was very much a stepping stone. We have to do this because it will let us get here. And I think when you have that vision, you can start to really work backwards the brain is kind of funny. It has a very hard time moving forwards, but it can, it can move backwards much easier. But you need to kind of have that vision first. I'm curious how your mindset has had to change going from, you know, when you first got started and you're mainly just working by yourself to now where you've got 25 people on your payroll, like you said. What are, I mean, what's had to change within you just to enable that to happen? I've had to become patient. <laughs> the... Uh, have you ever heard of, of the Strength Finder personality test? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, Strength Finder, for anybody who doesn't know, is, is a, it's a type of personality test. Um, it's a very powerful one. I've, I've done a couple, um, but that's one where I hired on a contractor to help with some of this hiring stuff. And she had me do it. And she had everybody on our team, uh, sort of the main people on our team do it, just to, to see where everybody was at. And what was interesting about mine is I did my top 35. So I did a full scale assessment of all of my strengths. And obviously one is, is what I'm most strong in. 35 is what you're terrible at and you should never do. Uh, 34 for me for, was empathy. And so, you know, my biggest skill set online is that I move very quick without thinking very much. I always say my biggest skill is that um, I'm blissfully ignorant about what it is. And I'm trying to figure out this like ignorance quotient, like just how stupid about some things should you be so that you don't, you actually do it and don't think about the ramifications of it. But you still know enough that it doesn't like ruin you or it's, it's you know, so, so I don't know what that is. But the reality of it is, I, I was 24 years old, and I wrote a book to educate my industry. That takes ignorance. That takes gumption. Uh, you could say it takes guts. I don't think it took guts, because I just didn't know enough to have guts to do it. And by the time I was 25 and a half, that book started doing really well. But who would do that? So when I started working with a lot of other people, I started realizing that I move a lot quicker and with a lot less forethought than a lot of people. And so I started surrounding myself with people who move slower, I'm much more strategic. And I would still be pushing and putting out stuff. I mean, in five years, I've written three good books, five in total, two of them, you'll never see the light of day because they were terrible. 
we've produced five courses. We've put on now, we put on our first major conference, but now four conferences. We've done, I mean, just all of the things that we've put out in that short amount of time. It's insane. And it's just that ability to move quickly. Whereas now I had to hire on essentially somebody to manage the operations because I'm not empathetic. I'm the type of person who will be like, well, why the heck haven't you done this? Do this, do this, do this, do this. And they're like, dude, I've been working. And it's, it's very difficult for me because I kind of see that job as you should have had this done two weeks ago. But that's just, they do it much more carefully than I do. You know, if they would like shovel snow on a driveway for those Canadians, they would have shoveled every single snowflake and it would have been perfect. Whereas me, it would have been like good enough to get a car in. But like, I'm just hucking that thing everywhere. And, and so that's the difference. And so as the business has kind of moved forward, I've started to really identify, okay, what am I good at? And what am I not good at? And how can I sort of fill in the holes? Mm. Uh, and I still don't need to listen to everybody because it's my business and that's just how things work. But having much more strategic people who move slower on board has really helped me say and, and create these filters and work with other people and say, okay, well, who's this going to move forward sustainably for the long run? Was just throwing a bunch of random stuff out there. Have you always had the really big vision for the business though? Or is that something that's, you know? Up two years ago, I didn't. I had no idea. Like I'm, I've, I've been blissfully ignorant. Like I, I'm just like some guy who just kind of likes writing about stuff and, and traveling the world. And, you know, I, I had no clue. But as I got into the business more, you know, like I created a, a little website to help promote my book. And then I realized that I only had so many good ideas. So I was going to try to find other people with a couple good ideas and get them on my website. Like that was the entire thinking early on. And then as the website grew and I started meeting more people, I started to deeply care about them and care about what they were struggling with. And it was stuff I never thought of, as I alluded to earlier. And I was like, well, there's like a big problem at hand. Like the fitness industry is not doing a very good job right now. And why is that? And there's a lot of stupid stuff happening in the fitness industry. Instagram fitness, spammy marketing, selling on fear and emotion, selling crappy supplements, overpriced supplements. There's a lot of just dumb stuff happening. And why is this happening? And in my eyes, it's happening because of that one major problem where the good people in the industry that really want to make a difference simply cannot make enough with a good enough schedule to live a happy, long, fulfilling life. And so they're either leaving the industry or they're resorting to doing things that they wouldn't otherwise do because it is simply the only way. And so how can we solve this freaking problem to help fix the industry that is fractured and frankly, pretty broken? Nobody talks to each other. There's no reason why like bodybuilders can't talk to kettlebell athletes, can't talk to CrossFit, can't learn from somebody who is like a physique athlete or just like likes Nordic pole walking. I mean, everybody can learn from everybody and can work with everybody, but the way that it's kind of made, and I won't bore you with kind of how the infrastructure is set up in North America and Europe, but the way that the infrastructure is set up is very much that the people who produce information to educate trainers specifically don't talk to each other because it would hurt their business. And that's just wrong. And that needs to be fixed. Mm. So that's what we're trying to do. Cool. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. And we didn't even have a chance to chat about um, your book, but I think you, uh, Viralnomics, but I think you touched on a couple of those topics, actually, especially around the one thing that jumped out for me just in closing was this idea that if you're just talking about your business on social media, you're really missing a trick. It's really talking about the reason behind what you're doing and really to get people on board so they can share. Mm -hmm authentically, right? The, the, the major theory, I'll save you buying the book because I fully know that if you solve somebody's problem for them for free on the internet, they'll pay you to solve their problem afterwards. And so the main theory behind the book is 
if you're trying to appeal to your potential consumers online, you're going to lose. It is simply too difficult to access them. What you do is you appeal to people who already believe in what you do, who already love what you do, who already are of a very similar mindset to you, and you articulate their thoughts, you articulate their hidden desires with your message. And as a result, they share your message, they keep your message present in the feed for long enough so that when your ideal customer is ready to buy, you're at the top of the mind. And that's, that's the process, that's the mindset shift for the book. So you can still buy the book, it's awesome. But you know, in terms of this podcast, I think it's a perfect example. Like I don't even need, I'm not here to sell anything. I'm here to kind of share what I do. And, and if you like it, then you're probably gonna look at me up and, and might buy something I do. And even if you don't, I hope that you kind of gain from it. And, you know, my success in the long term is solely dependent on how successful I can kind of help make other people. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us today, John. Cool. Thank you, Amanda. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Wellpreneur Podcast. As always, you can get all the links of everything we talked about over on the show notes on the blog, which is at wellpreneuronline.com. And don't let yourself be alone being a Wellpreneur struggling on your own to try to make this online thing work. That's crazy. Come join us. We've got a totally free Facebook group called the Wellpreneur Wellness Marketing Mastermind. We've got over 900 Wellpreneurs in the group and it's totally a promotion-free zone. It's really awesome. Everybody's in there sharing resources and helping each other. And it's a great place not only to discuss the podcast episodes from the week, which by the way, a lot of times the guests will actually come into the group so you can ask them questions, which is totally awesome. But also it's a way to get support and encouragement and just not feel like you're alone on this journey. So I'd love to see you over there. Anyway, have a fantastic week and I'll see you back here next week with the next episode. Mm -hmm.